Welcome everybody to the USL show. Uh, this is Phil and uh, first of all we are brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network and sponsored by Roughneck Scarves. We have a special interview today. I have um, now new technical director for Real Salt Lake but he has been the GM for Real Monarchs for years now, um, I think since the beginning. Uh, you'll have to correct me about that. But anyway, we've got Dan Egner on. Uh, it's been about 16 months since our last conversation or so, mm-hmm. um, which I thought it was even longer than that. But uh, welcome to the show and thanks for joining me today. How's it going? It's going well, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's been been an exciting time the last few weeks. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a good time to be part of the Real Salt Lake family. No kidding. Um, you know, you've had a successful several years here and you've been rewarded with a new job as technical director for Real Salt Lake. That is quite the bump, I, I would assume, at least in, in uh, stature of, of job, at least. Yes, it uh, it's quite the bump. Um, a lot of stuff with the first team I've been working on for 12 months, 18 months, um, just kind of behind the scenes. Mm. Uh, so now this kind of gives me the platform to publicly do it and really get my hands in there and, and make an impact and try to get RSL where, where we want it to go. And we don't feel like we're far off. Yeah. And I mean, you've, you've built up your experience. I I liked, you know, I hope everyone by now has read the Jeff Ruder article in the athletic, uh, interviewing you as well. Um, I didn't know that was happening when I asked you to do the interview, to be honest. Um, so this actually worked out really nicely that, um, I had all that information to add to there, but one of my favorite things in there is that you kind of called yourself the realm honor, uh, hustler. Um, because you kind of came into this job and was thrown in and you were doing everything right. Yeah, so that first year, I mean, I was literally like employee number two, and we only ever really ended up with like three to four uh, that first year. Um, so that, that very first year, I didn't, at least the first half of the year, I didn't do a lot on the soccer side, but man, I was out there, ticket sales, marketing, corporate partners, game presentation, just trying to get as many people into the building as possible. And that year, we actually we broke a lot of metrics that still hold for MLS2 teams uh, that we're really proud of. Um, my favorite moment from that year, uh, and no one knows this, and I saved it on my phone. So we had a sponsorship with a local sandwich company, mm-hmm. and part of that deal that I worked out was like we do social media um, posts like with them in it and stuff. So I actually dressed up as their mascot and took pictures <laughs> with our players as this sandwich mascot to post on Twitter, and like that perfectly enca- like encaptures that first year. Oh my gosh. So you're not too big to put on some animal costume and, and take some pictures. That's insane. No, never. I would, I would do it again today. <laughs> well, I hope you don't have to at this point, but who knows? <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, I've been wanting to talk to you about so many nerdy topics. I think the first topic, uh, since you have been working for about 18 months behind the scenes, is um, we can kind of talk about the difference between MLS and USL. I mean, in that article, you kind of talk about how free the USL is as far as roster moves, and then we all know what MLS is like to a certain degree. Uh, did you have to do a lot of reading up on like what you're allowed to do? And and I'm just curious from your point of view, the differences of the two leagues. Sure. So luckily, although I've been Monarchs focused um, for the last four years since I've been on the soccer side, I've been around the first team stuff every day and I'm in the room and part of those discussions. So I, I was very familiar with the different mechanisms from MLS and, and all those types of roster moves and things like that. Um, but on the USL side, and, and people, whenever I say this, look at me kind of weird, but I've had instances where 
from initial phone call with an agent that I'll make with a guy that I want hmm. to pen to paper on a contract, I've had it as little as five hours. Oh my God. Um, and I know that sounds crazy, but it but it's true. And you can you can get things on the USL side done very quickly because um, there's no one that you have to run it by or there's no one that you have to get approval through. Like it's just you and you can do whatever you want. Um, on the MLS side, there's just, you gotta go to MLS and there's a lot of different mechanisms and it's, the paperwork is complicated and you don't draft the paperwork. So sometimes you're waiting a few days to get the documents that you need. And it's just, there's a lot of moving pieces. There's a lot of factors that go into it um, that just, at times you just, you want to run and, and you can't. Hmm. That's interesting. It, have you ever, I mean, it's it's early, but you know, I'm listening to the podcast, I guess uh, Sam Stayskull and someone else at The Athletic kind of came together to write about all the changes they'd like to make to those MLS rules. And so uh, they mentioned how sometimes people would get pretty far in a deal and then realize it's just not a legal move. There's no legal way to get it done. Have you run into that kind of problem or heard about that problem? I've definitely heard about that problem. Uh, I haven't been so lucky to experience that yet, but I did, and I talked to Jeff about this. I was pretty far along in a deal this year, mm-hmm. and some factors outside of my control, outside of the club's control, uh, came into play, and there was really nothing we could do about it, and we didn't get the player. Uh, he's now somewhere else, which is unfortunate. It's uh, unlucky, but that's... You kind of just take it and move on. You know, everyone's playing by these rules. Everyone's dealing with this stuff. Like we're not the only ones. Um, so yeah, it's frustrating, but you can't dwell on it because then you're just going to get further stuck behind, and it doesn't do you any good because it's not going to change. Well, yeah, that was my next question. Is you know these rules are kind of what has gotten MLS to where it is now. Um, I think that's a strong argument. Maybe actually accepted at this point um but do you think it will move away and become more free in the future or do you think there's a movement toward that or do you think that's kind of a, a long shot at this point i think there's some movement towards it i always think there's going to be some give and take so for example when whenever and hopefully it's soon that this new cba gets busted out that yeah there's going to be things that teams are like oh my god great this is going to make our life so much easier hmm. uh i'm sure there's going to be things that that don't get changed that teams want to see get changed um but it's just a process. It's a slow process. I think even within the, the five years that I've been working here, we've seen a lot of change. Um, so it's, I, I think overall it's always headed in the right direction. Yeah, that's good to hear. Um, I want to talk about your roster build. Uh, you guys have a very distinct roster build as far as what you are, who you are. You are a, a two-side, a reserve side, if you will. And um, But there's you have your own facility, uh, which you're in mm-hmm. right now. You have... A decent crowd for a reserve side, almost 2,000 on average every week, every game, um, which I think is respectable. It seems like you try, you know. Part mm-hmm. of that hustling has been, as you just said, is the marketing side and getting uh, getting people to show up to games, um, and mixing youth and vets in the uh, veterans in the roster build. I really respect the way you guys go about things, and I'm I'm kind of curious why you guys have all settled on that kind of a build rather than, you know, we've seen a lot of reserve teams almost seem like they've given up and they just play basically a U19 team and throw them out there in the senior stadium. And it is what it is. Um, I'm not a fan of that, but I'm curious about your perspective and why the Monarchs decided to do what they did. So we didn't always take this approach. Originally, um, the first two years we were a lot younger 
and we were getting crushed and it just wasn't fun no one was enjoying it it wasn't good for the players and we kind of sat back and we're like man like is this really helping development so we decided that we wanted to change the approach and kind of tweak the model um and I would say in 2017, we might have went a little veteran heavy, but we had a lot of success, so we won the Shield. Mm. Um, so then in 2018, we fine-tuned it, um, had a very successful year, and then this year really found the sweet spot. So for us, you know, there's kind of three type of players that, that we try to bring to this team, which are U23 internationals, um, mm. U23 domestic players, which hopefully come from our academy, and your domestic veterans guys who have had experience in this league know how to be professionals and can help teach our our young guys how to be pros and how to win and it's really we found this year was a sweet spot so every player that we brought in that wasn't a returning player from 2018 to 2019 was under the age of 23 Um, and all the guys we brought back were our veterans and it worked out really well and the example i always like to to tell people so this year earlier in the year uh, we go to new mexico and we get smacked. It's like five to one. Uh, and I had a senior player tell me this the, the following week. But after the game, you know, the the guys are in the locker room and just the young guys' heads down. You know, it's like someone ran over their dog. And uh, one of our veteran players went in the locker room and said, "Guys, it's one loss. It doesn't matter if it's ten nothing, one nothing. Like, it's just one loss. Like, this isn't going to define our season. This isn't the end of the world. We get back out here next weekend." Um, and if you don't have a veteran who can do that or veterans that can do that, that mentality snowballs. And then we're next week we're losing four, nothing and then three, one and then five, one, and it just snowballs and it's a vicious cycle. Um, so those veterans come in and that's where they make a major impact. Uh, and our, we think that helps develop those young guys. Not only that, uh, you know, you look at David Ochoa, 18 years old, for me, probably the best keeper in USL this year. I know he only played 20 games, including playoffs. Um, but he played behind a very veteran backline. And if we would have just rolled out our U19s at the USL level, cool. Like, it's one thing to see David Ochoa command and bark at and yell and, and work with a young backline. But it's another thing to see him do that with grown men who have been professionals. So if he can do that at this level and he can yell at a 27-year-old Kalen Ryden and a 26-year-old Conrad Plua, he's going to do that at the MLS level, right? And as a, as a keeper, that's one of the big things you look for is how is a guy can command a backline. Well, I don't care if he can do that with other 19-year-olds. Like, that doesn't really say much. But the fact that he can step in at 18 and do that with grown men, he can do that at any level. And we we wouldn't see that if we didn't take this approach. Yeah. I love that. Uh, a few things in there that, um, you know, I I wanted to pick out and that you mentioned U23, you kind of view it as like U23 age group as far as trying to bring guys up. That is different in that, you know, a lot of teams are throwing out 16 and 17 year olds and maybe even 18 year olds regularly, you know. And so, like you said, you kind of mentioned why you're not doing that. But how do you view those kids that are 16, 17, 18? Um, I'm, I'm really sorry, but I can't have you on the show without mentioning, you know, a Richie Ledesma. You know, it's mm-hmm. really hard, I'm sure, for you to see him over at PSV, um, the talent that he is in some ways. And so is that something you're thinking about getting more? Because there weren't many of those players in the mm-hmm. team this season. And so I wasn't sure if that's something you do want to work more in. Maybe this year just had an off year. 
So the, the big thing for us is, and we preach this at the, from the U15s all the way up, is you have to earn your minutes. And Richie, when he was still with us in our academy, he earned those Monarchs minutes mm-hmm. and he got some starts and he performed well. Um, and obviously people who aren't here every day, like we have those academy kids in training with the Monarchs regularly. So you can see them in that environment every day. Um, and we're, we don't believe in the philosophy of, well, this guy needs to get the minutes, so he's going to get the minutes even if he's looked terrible in training all week or he had a stinker last week. Um, those guys, even in 16, 17, you have to earn those minutes. Um, and we had a few guys. We had a, a handful of academy guys this year. Delance Pierre got some games. Uh, his brother got a game. Um, and I think <laughs> we're going to see more of those guys, but it really depends on on them and when they deserve those minutes. Um, we just don't feel that giving professional minutes shouldn't just be given out. They have to be earned. And that's something that we're really trying to instill, like I said, from the 15s all the way up. Love that. Um, speaking of those 15s, are, are you already looking at um, a way to monetize those 15-year-olds without losing them and without solidarity payments in the United States? I, I know, I think my favorite interview this year was um, Oliver Wiss on Scuffed Podcast talking about, from Orange mm-hmm. County SC, mm-hmm. um, talking about the ways he's been bringing in all these guys from different cities um, that would normally, some of them I think would even be homegrown players in different cities. Um, and he's bringing them in, he's signing them to a contract saying, hey, I'm going to sell you on to whoever wants you. I'm not going to overcharge for you, but I am going to throw a percentage of the next sale on there in order to monetize that. Is that something you have been looking at or other GMs around the league have been considering? Definitely. And we have, um, for both teams, we have a structure in place. So we have a standardized USL deal for players in our academy. And it's based on age, years left in school, things like that. Um, and we've actually signed a couple guys to those deals um, who played significant minutes this year with the Monarchs, two 18-year-olds, Steve Hasso, Jordan Pena. Um, each of them signed. They were the first two that signed these deals. And we're going to look to do that every year for the guys that are ready. So this year we're going to have four to five academy players who report to Monarchs preseason in January and spend the entire preseason with them day in, day out. And we're going to see who's ready and who's not ready. Um, and if they are, then they will probably get offered those deals. Um, and if they're not, that's fine. There's still time. Uh, that just means they're not ready right now. Um, so yeah, we do have a structure in place. We do believe we have a system in place that is going to help us develop and monetize those uh, on our academy players. I love that. And, um, you know, if you guys are giving minutes and guys are earning minutes, um, I do want to say that I think you've got, you personally have got one of the better eyes for talent in the league. And it's getting better every year, but I just look at the guys you bring in every year and they're always kind of guys that are slightly off the radar, but always perform well in your system. And part of that might be coaching. Um, but boy, the year that you grabbed Portillo and Chang, and then turn them into what they did. First of all, I was like, well, he he single-handedly gutted, gutted Charleston in some ways, but um, you know, look at what they've become and and where they're able to go in the future as well, which is might be another uh, motivator for other USL independent guys to go take a look at at the Monarchs, considering that Portillo and Chang are now moved on or moving on to the mm-hmm. senior team. Um, but you know. What do you look for? How are you able to find these guys that are somewhat diamonds in the rough? Yeah, they're good, but they turn into something better under your system. So we're fortunate here, and, and I'm definitely – I appreciate the kind words. I can't take all the credit. Uh, our 
our scouts and we have one in particular who who watches a lot of USL along with me um, that I think when you look at systems that guys are in or coaches that they play for um, and you can for us we sit back and imagine okay they have qualities X, Y, and Z, but they're not necessarily being utilized in this system or for this coach. But man, if we can get him and with how we play, he has all the attributes that we're looking for and say a left winger. Oh my God, like this is perfect. This is going to fit for us. Um, you know, a guy that I like to always reference is Douglas Martinez, right? Douglas tried uh, USL two years ago and he scored one goal. Um, he was a guy who looked, he had his same height, Man, he was built like a rail, and he just couldn't handle the physicality. But you could see his movement, you could see his soccer IQ, you could see his touch. Um, and he went back to Honduras, and we kept following him. And I remember tuning in when I was like, "Oh wow, like this kid filled out. Like he's physically where he needs to be." And it was like perfect. Like we're taking him, hmm. come on back. Uh, we got him on a free transfer, and and the rest with him is history. But when you you just have to look past what a guy is right now and see what you think he can be and that's where the coaching and our development comes in is you take a douglas right he was still a little bit raw but you could see the attributes he had and we said man we get him in our system with our coaches we think this is going to work same with with michael and justin they were both a little bit older when we brought them in but it's okay they're at charleston where charleston doesn't play the same style that we play um but man like if you put Justin as a drop dead six in our system where he's controlling the midfield, we really think that's going to work. And we, we work on his soccer IQ and Chang, if we can just let him get isolated out wide, like he's got the quality to do what we think will work in our system. And both those guys have. Um, so I think it's just, it really comes down to just watching the crap out of this league, man. And just day in, day out watching this league. Uh, that's the, the biggest thing I think. I love that. Um, it- I'm really glad that that's exactly what it was. I love that you find players that are good and you visualize them in your system, even though they're, I don't, I think that's really cool. I'm glad that, you know, I was kind of in a way, maybe onto something. I'm glad that that's exactly kind of what happened there. Um, Let's talk about the season. This is a big season for you guys. Obviously, mm-hmm. the championship, <laughs> to win uh, the championship final is uh, giant. But you guys have been good for a long time now. 2017, you won the title. You had a really good run last year. And then this year, 2019, obviously winning the final. You peaked at the right time for once, it seemed like. Um, for sure. But I-, I want you to maybe walk me through the beginning of the season. And I'd like you to kind of touch on the coaching, you know, because mm-hmm. boy, both the senior team and the USL team went through some guys this year. And so I'm sure that was one of the greatest challenges. And I'm just curious how that played out and how you settled into to where you ended there. For sure. So coming into the USL season, uh, you know, we always sit down with the coaching staff in the preseason say, okay, guys, like this is what we have. This is for us what we think the realistic goal is and and so when we sat down with the coaches uh we said hey you know realistically we believe as a front office this is a top four team in the western conference um and obviously the season started and we actually had a pretty good preseason um and not the best results but like you could see the the style was good we were executing and uh it was a decent preseason. Um, we start the season, get a good result the first week. Then it kind of goes downhill from there. Uh, and then something just wasn't clicking. Um, and then when the coaching change happened, uh, it kind of brought 
fresh air into the locker room. Uh, the guys responded really well to it. And I think Homison and Matt had learned a lot from their interim stint last year. Um, and they were able to build off of that experience and really grow into the role this year. And they ran with it. The guys ran with it. Um, and it really just, everyone was bought in is the best way I could say it. Uh, when it came down to it, no one cared who scored, who had the assist, who was starting. Like this was a group that just wanted to win. Like they didn't care. That's all they wanted to do was win. Um, and then they started developing that belief. Um, and it was tough because, I mean, at a point we got rid of mid-year three and a half starters, uh, if that makes sense, because uh, the fourth guy was our first guy off the bench. Uh, he was player 12. So, you know, we got rid of some big pieces and it didn't phase anybody. Uh, it was the next guy up. We're ready to roll. We still have the talent. Um, and, it, and they ran with it. We got to the playoffs and we finished the year well. Um, once we got to we about a month and a half left and it was every every day the conversation with the staff was, okay guys, like we control our destiny for a top four finish. We can do it. We're right there. And credit to them, like they just hammered that into the guys and uh, you know, we finished the regular season with a with a big win against SAC. And the one team and no not a lot of people know this, the one team in the Western Conference we did not want to face in the first round was Orange County. Mm. Anybody but Orange County was what? who we wanted. Why is that? And we get Orange County. Uh, and dude, it's, it sounds odd and people kind of look at me weird, but like it's a team with a lot of talent. Um, tactically, it's not the best matchup for us, but at least it was home, so we felt okay about it. And I remember the staff and I were talking before that game, and it's okay, if we can win this game, we're, we're making it to the final. Hmm. Uh, and we truly believed that. And then luckily, like we came out, the guys were buzzing. We got that monkey off our back from the previous two years. Um, and then once, once we got past Orange County, like the belief going into Phoenix was, yeah, we're, we're going to win this game. No one else has us. Literally no one has us, but it, the belief in this building was, nah, we're winning this game. Um, then that happened and we're at home for the Western Conference Finals. Like, whew, all right. Uh, it was a bit of a nervy game. You know, we'd played them twice, both nil nil. Um, once again, though, they just we found a way to win, and that that went out. And then you know we get to the final, and the guys are up for it. You know we got there on Thursday, uh, two good days of training there in market. And the first twenty minutes, man, I was I was pacing up on the concourse, and I was like, oh my god, we're gonna lose four or five nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit! Like this is really bad. Uh, and then the coaches made some tactical adjustments. The guys took them, ran with them, and. That was it. Louisville had no response, and we executed our, our plane to a tee the last 70 minutes. I loved so several things there. I loved that a lot of people who watched the league a lot really loved the run you, you guys were on at the end there and were really pretty much voting for you at the end, even over Phoenix, which everyone had as favorites, you know, going in for sure. Um, but, man, you guys were just so hot and looking so good. And to be honest, in that final... When Louisville scored first, I thought this might be the best thing for the Real Monarchs ever. Just because Louisville, you know, they almost play better when uh, they got a chip on their shoulder. Mm -hmm. So, um, and you guys just kind of go out and you do your thing. I, I think it's interesting to hear you say that the coaching changes didn't affect everybody. I think maybe that veteran presence really does have that effect that you're talking about. And so I thought that was really interesting. I wanted to talk shortly about Jamison Olave because he made some coaching decisions that really. 
I think really pushed the team, gave it another 20, 30% too, because it did work out so well um, with, with the personnel you guys had. I don't know if you were part of that conversation, but uh, the formation change and the way everyone's roles worked out, it just, you had a really well-balanced team for the style you played. Yeah, and so the the three five two. Obviously, we usually play a you know a four two three one, uh, and we really have a lot of success in that. The first team plays that way. We play that way. That's how we're going to play next year. Um, but we get to a point, and I always have this conversation with the USL staff every year. Like you get to a point where it's like, okay, guys, throw everything out the window. It's time to focus on like we got to win, right? And that's the playoff stretch. Usually, you get to like the last month and a half of the season, and it's everything is out win um and so they came in like hey like you know it, it actually we switched to the 352 uh based on a, a personnel we really didn't have we were going into uh, reno and we really didn't have the personnel to play the the 4231 mm. said hey like you know we've done this against reno in the past it's worked uh, works well on a baseball field like what do you think i said yeah let's do it like it gets that's what that's the cards we have this week uh and it worked really well like we looked really good and so we came home Went back to the four two three one for one game, absolutely smacked Portland, uh, but then went back to the three based on personnel, and it worked again, and the guys got more comfortable, and so we had more conversations, and they said, "Look, like we think we want to stay with this going down the stretch," and I said, "Yeah, I, I agree with you. It allowed us to get our most talented players all on the field at once, yeah, and the guys believed in it." They took it in training every day, and they got to the point where, like, that's what they wanted to play. They felt comfortable in it. Uh, like I said, it allowed our all of our talent to get on the field at once. And so they, yeah, just I got hats off to Hamas and to Matt because that that really was the pivot point in the in the run. Yeah, that was really cool to see that change, and it's it's really cool to hear that story actually. Um, but you guys made it. You, you became the champs. I feel like it was on its way to happening one of these years. And um, congratulations to you on such a good year. Um, what about next year? You know, you're moving up to Real Salt Lake. You are. You mentioned earlier that you are still pretty much in charge of the roster for Real Monarchs as well. So kind of give us an idea of what you're up to this offseason. Sure. So right now, I mean, just working on deals, watching players uh, on the USL side. By the time we get to this point, uh, we're pretty comfortable with who we've identified who we want to go after so it's not so much watching guys at this point it's just working on the deals um so we've made two new signings uh we're working on three to four more right now um feel pretty good about most of them uh the thing with us and and people always ask me like oh like you, you started like you're getting after guys last year and now people know this we signed our first player in december of last year um like our philosophy is we don't have the biggest budget okay. and so I'm going to go let the Phoenixes and the Sacramentos and the Louisvilles and the Tampas of the world go do your thing. We're usually not going after the same guy, and I can't p- compete with you financially. And so then we come in. We get the guys that were at the top of our list anyways. Um, so that's what we're working on right now on the USL side. Um, like I said, two new guys. One will be announced today, one tomorrow. Yeah. Working on three to four others that we feel pretty good about. Um, and then at that point, we're going to be pretty, pretty close. Yeah. I mean, are you worried about losing some of your, your big players this year? A lot of those guys are probably, they have a good price on their heads as far as acquiring them at this point. So they do. So we right now, uh, have eight guys coming back, uh, working on a ninth. So feel good about (laughs) that one. Um, 
the fans would be excited about this one. And, and yeah, I'll be honest, we are going to lose a few veterans. Um, but that happens every year with us. And it's just that belief of the guys who are coming back. It's time for you to step up. Um, so we still think we're going to have enough of those guys coming back from that core group to really not miss a beat. Yeah. The, the last thing I wanted to ask you about as far as what I wanted to talk about, uh, there's no good transition. I thought it was really interesting in the Jeff Reuter article that you mentioned that I didn't realize this, probably only a third of the USL teams have a separate technical director or GM to the coach. I didn't realize that, first of all. Mm-hmm. Um, and in St. Louis, we don't have a GM right now, and I was a little worried about it. Um, but now it sounds like a lot of coaches pull double duty in that way. And you said that's unfortunate because we're lacking an opportunity for Americans to be GMs and get that experience. You yourself, I didn't realize you're only 30 years old this year. Mm-hmm. That's huge for you to have this experience so early in your career at such a high level. Um, I'm interested to see where you go, but I'd like to hear you talk about that. I, I thought that was an interesting um, point for you to make. Yeah, so my, my, and this is funny, and, and people who work with me will 100% tell you this is true. So when I first came over to the soccer side, uh, my former boss, Craig Weibull, sat me down and said, okay, Dan, like, what's your ultimate goal? Like, I want to help you get there. Hmm. I said, you know what, I really think I want to be the GM of like a, a, a nice, established USL independent club. You know, like a, a Tampa, a Sacramento, a Louisville, a San Antonio, a place like that. And he goes, okay, like, that's kind of weird, but uh, <laughs> cool, cool, man. Like, I believe it. Like, let's, let's try to make it happen. So... You know, started on the Monarchs a couple of years, had some success, and I was like, okay, like I think it's and, and Wives agreed. Goes, okay, I think it's time, like probably for you to get to an independent club. Like if there's not any, and at the time there just wasn't upward opportunity at RSL because we had a lot of good pieces in place. Um, and dude, I couldn't, I couldn't get a phone call. Everything I heard when I would talk to owners or the clubs were, ah, like we just don't have the money for that position. Like our head coach just does it all. Um, and I always thought it was strange because MLS is trending the opposite way. Uh, going into next year, there's only two MLS coaches who do everything. Um, and so I always found it strange. I was like, okay, like I'm just going to stay here, keep doing the Monarchs thing. And so then I kind of changed. Where I was like, well, maybe MLS is the route to go. Hmm. Um, and so I've always found it interesting. And when I started working with Mark Briggs here, he came from Wilmington and he did everything at Wilmington. Yeah. Um, and about three months into it, he came into my office and he goes, Dan, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. I never want to go back to a model where I have to do everything. <laughs> and I said, well, well, why is that? And he goes, because now all I have to focus on is coaching managing my players, managing my staff. I don't need to worry about talking with agents or deals or guys coming into my office to complain about how much they're making. Like that's not, I I just get to coach, which is what I'm good at and that's what I wanna do. And that really hit me and I was like, wow. Like, And I think, to be honest, that's why we had a lot of success was because we had those split roles Mm. and it allowed him to be the best coach he can be and that applies to our staff today and it allows me to focus on my job. And so I I find it disappointing that, that it's a, comes down to a budgetary item uh, for USL clubs because we talk about how we want to be the one of the top second division leagues in the world, mm. but then yet we don't want to invest in critical positions like this. Coaches just don't have time to do both things. It's just not feasible or they're working 60 hours a week, yeah. which most of them already are anyways if they're just coaches. Um, the other thing I found is I've always thought it's a massive conflict of interest 
for one person to decide how much a guy makes, but also how much playing time he gets. Because I, one thing that I was taught very early on is there's only two things that you can do to affect a soccer player. How much they make, how much they play. Hmm. Those are the two things they care about. So for one guy to be in charge of both, just for me, is a massive conflict of interest. Man, that's really interesting. I really enjoyed all of that. Um, and it's good for me to hear because I'm just such a big fan of the USL. You know, we talked about the differences between USL and MLS. And USL is just so much like the rest of the world in a lot of ways. It's more open. It's freer. It's, it's I don't know. I just really like the league. But that is a major, um, major problem for sure. And so something maybe they can work toward money always being a problem in uh, – anything below the top tier of most leagues around the world. So I get it, but um, I think that's a a really interesting take from you. Uh, I appreciate hearing that. Um, I don't have any other questions for you, but you might have something you want to talk about. Anything about the year, anything about your role that you want to fit in here that I didn't ask you about? No, no, I think we we covered a lot of it. Um, You know, it was a fun year, exciting. I'm glad that that I was able to share this with you guys. And, uh, you know, hopefully we're we're back in the same place spot next year um similar to you man i I love this league uh and i I think it's on the rise and there's a lot of positive things and each year the talent level is better and better and better um and hopefully we get to a point where people stop sleeping on the usl (laughs) Um, because i'm a i'm a big believer in it nice yeah and i'm interested to see if you are able to use (laughs) chang and portillo you know see if they're able to to make a difference i do want to see more usl players moving up to mls because i think they're a little underappreciated to a certain degree um but there is a gap there oh maybe before we go do you think the gap is huge or do you think it's it's pretty small i i think i'm in the minority i don't think it's as big as people think and i will leave you with this i'll leave you with a little tease (laughs) uh we actually are bringing in a player for our MLS squad from a different USL squad. Wow. Um, that'll probably be announced, I think, like Monday. So An independent side? Say what? Was it? Is it an independent side club? Okay. So that's such a rarity. Um, it's, it's a big talking point for us this year. And so, um, yeah, maybe we'll we'll talk to you more about that when it comes out. Dan Egner, he is the new technical director for Real Salt Lake. Also sticking around at Real Monarchs doing just the technical and player side. No more of that business stuff for you, which I'm glad to hear. Thank you so much for joining me today. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks for having me. Today's show was brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network and sponsored by Roughneck Scarves. It's the official scarf supplier of MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. We have a lot more shows coming in the offseason, a lot of ideas of different players, GMs, coaches, other people that um, we're going to be trying to bring in throughout the next several weeks and months. So. Keep checking in. We'll be posting shows, hopefully a bunch, if we motivate ourselves and get everything lined up the way we want. A bunch of us from BGN are also going to the United Soccer Conference, so um, we'll be out in Baltimore, maybe hitting up the uh, Super Draft, talk to a few players that'll probably end up in USL anyway, if that's the case. So I think we'll have a whole lot of content right around that time, so make sure you're checking back. Thanks, everybody, for listening.